Well, we're going to change gears a little bit. We finished up our Christmas series last week. We're going to talk about New Year's resolutions today. And then, Lord willing, the plan is that um, next week we'll, um, we're going to do a short series through an Old Testament book, probably a minor prophet, looking like um, Malachi. And um, I would like to do a New Testament series, then an Old Testament series, and kind of rotate that through. And we finished up Acts. And so um, the, the plan is, Lord willing, is to do one of the minor prophets and then do a topical series a few weeks on marriage. Um, and then we'll see where it takes us after that. Uh, that'll be sometime in the late spring. And so today, I'd like you to go with me, if you would, to the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 45. And we're going to look at a few other places today. And Jeremiah 45, verse 5. Sometimes when you get, someone might be discouraged in um, ministry or a calling, you can uh, you can sometimes take um, comfort in the um, that that your lot isn't as bad as others. You know, you kind of commiserate. And sometimes I think you know that famous passage about an Isaiah. Uh, I think about Isaiah and Jeremiah, the, the calling God had on their lives. That that famous, you know, we put it on our coffee mugs. You know, the Lord said, you know, who will go for us? And Isaiah says, you know, here am I, send me. And you know, that's like really cool. You know, and that's kind of like get everybody to walk the aisle and put a stick in the fire and surrender and sign up for missions. And but the passage goes on to tell us how. God tells Isaiah he's going to go talk to these people and they're not going to listen and they're all going to keep leaving and there's going to be a remnant left and we're going to kind of whittle it down and you're like, oh, well, he's not getting called on that pulpit search committee then, you know, <laughs> and um, and the same way with Jeremiah, you know, kind of planning this and kind of with these negative things, this weeping crop prophet. And he has this uh, helper, this kind of a scribe that helps him, uh, Baruch, and uh this verse, there's one verse, Jeremiah 45, verse 5, and I want to kind of uh, use to focus today as we talk about New Year's resolutions. And I'm going to propose today the idea of having God-sized resolutions. So it says here in Isaiah, or Jeremiah rather, Jeremiah 45 and verse 5, it says, And do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. It's going to stop there. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for today. And Lord, as we look at New Year's and resolutions or just recalibrating ourselves on what's really important, would you help today just be a part of a reminder of that for us? I pray that you would use this in my life. I pray that you'd use this in uh, those that are here and even not here that might hear this online. Lord, I just ask that you would help us to live lives with God-sized resolutions. Thank you for your presence here and that your word will not return void. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, today is December 30th, and this is that time of year that we often take inventory. And for those of you in retail or other things are literally taking inventory right now, um, maybe at the end of the year. Uh, I do not miss that part of that industry. And... um, um, we might take inventory of your previous year, maybe make and make resolutions or commitments or however you call it, and, may, and maybe you might ha- uh, do some things like that. How many of you already have like some New Year's resolutions in mind for this year? You kind of already had some things in, in mind. How many of you, d- you kind of gave up on the New Year's resolutions thing a long time ago, and you're like, that 
forget about it. It's just might as well. Okay. All right. Um, well, how many of you like keep a journal or a diary? How many of you do a journal or diary? Okay. Have you ever thought, is that a resolution you'd like to try that one day? Um, so I've been doing that. Not, I'm not super good at it, but I try to, you know, um, uh, uh, fairly often, uh, a paragraph or two of the day or something God's doing in my heart or um, memories or kind of a, doing, a, um, uh, I call it a brain dump, you know, just you kind of got a lot on your head and you can't sleep, so you just put it out on a piece of paper and then you can sleep. It kind of helps you process things emotionally and things like that. And so I've gone through a handful of these and um, uh, I, I like the moleskin journals and things like that. And I got, and this is the one I used for 2018. And so I've only got, you know, this week left and then kind of an end of the year review. And so I'll have the weekly things and stuff like that. And a lot of times there's these journal things we'll have um, at the beginning of the year. And there's, you know, there's a ton of them. You can find them online or Barnes and Noble or wherever. And um, they'll have like, you know, to, to kind of chart out your goals for the year. Uh, and then some of them will be really nifty and, you know, do your dreams and your three-month and your six-month and your nine-month and then for the whole year. Or take those big goals and then break them down in categories, you know. So if you have a goal for the year of, you know, running a 10K or a 5K or getting off the couch or something, you know, you can kind of break that down into some manageable things. Okay, I'm going to do this once a week or twice a week or whatever. Um, and... Um, that really is kind of what I want to do today uh, in this message, is I want to remind us of what those big top headings are of our goals of life, uh, our goals as a church. So as you think about that, and so New Year's resolutions are kind of funny things, um, and um, uh, those of you that have them, uh, do, you sh- do you mind shouting out like what categories they're in? Is it? Okay. All right. We'll just go. Well, for, uh, fortunately, Google lets us know like what the, they do these ratings of the top ten resolutions or the top resolutions for the year. And I, I read something uh, last night that that it's changed. Usually, it's always lose weight, join a gym, prioritize exercise, join a cult. I mean, CrossFit, something like that, right? Uh, I mean, <laughs> and and um, you know, something like that that, that happens. I'm teasing. Um, and that is the number one, actually for West Virginia, that was, that was the number one New Year's resolution is to prioritize exercise, which is probably pretty good. Uh, but nationwide, the new top, uh, nationwide, uh, New Year's resolution was to save money. That was number, number one. A lot of those people have one about making new friends, um, uh, getting a new job or getting a new hobby or a different hobby, um, finding love. A lot of times people um, make resolutions about reading more, how many books they're going to read that year, uh, or something like that. Uh, you can do your Goodreads challenge and uh, have that on there. I failed mine this year, um, unless I can read like seven books in the next 24 hours, which is probably not going to happen. Um, and I've kind of wondered, like, I wish I could, all those people that get their goal they probably don't read their Bible through in a year. So if you read your Bible through in a year, do you get to add like an extra 66? Does that count? But you do them every year. So anyway. Um, anyway, I would suggest that. Maybe this is a good time of year to find a Bible reading plan. Uh, a few, maybe if you don't know of some. Um, if you get that version app, there's a lot of them on there. I would um, 
the one I'm going to do in 2019 is the Robert Murray McShane reading plan. Um, and there's the Discipleship Journal is a really good one as well. It's from Navigators. Uh, and, you can, and that one's nice because it's set up to give you off days. So catch-up days, you know, like when you miss. Uh, you can either do that where it'll split up, uh, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, wisdom, uh, you know, something from wisdom literature, something, from, something like that. But you can also set up to do a book of the guy. So that's the Discipleship Journal uh, one or the McShane, but there's a lot of them in there. If you kind of look on some of those, there's a, a lot of those Bible reading plans. I would encourage you to get one and try to stick with it. And don't be ashamed of the little three dot button that says catch me up, and, you know, if you get behind. Um, and so um, anyway, those are some of those things there. But today what I'd like to do is suggest a reminder of the big goals for the Christians and to help guide that might help guide and assess how you set your goals for this year. Maybe reminding us what those goals are. Because if we're honest, sometimes we forget what the real goals are. Um, and if we're also honest, we'd also say, when I hear most people's New Year's resolutions, a lot of time they sound very self-focused. Um, and they can tend to be very narcissistic. Um, they, they don't have to be that way. Uh, they, they might be something that could be one or the other, and we'll talk about that here in a few moments. That it could be the same goal, but if the motive is right, it's a good thing. If the motive's wrong, it could be a very self-centered thing. And so I remember when our kids were playing soccer, uh, and I've probably shared this with you before, um, that um, I don't think they really understood the goal of the game that often. Um, from Madeline, she thought soccer was the goal of soccer games was social, to walk around on the field and talk to everybody while the ball was going past you. Um, Kerrigan uh, is our, my rule keeper. And so if her coach said, you know, was trying to get them to stay in lanes, even if the ball wasn't in her lane, she wouldn't move because she had to obey the rule that the coach said. And it's like, no, 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 the, there was a spirit of that rule the coach had, you know, like you're allowed to cross it to kick the, the goal. And for Draper, I don't know, I'm not sure. He was like bees, chasing bees, chasing bugs. And I remember there was one time I said, all right, if you get a goal – I'll take you to Chick-fil-A and get a milkshake. And in the first, I, I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating. I exaggerate a lot of times, but this is not an exaggeration. It was a minute and a half into the game he scored a goal. I mean, it was like, bam. And the rest of the game, it was like, he, it was like no, no, no. That was the goal of the game is to get a goal, to help your team get a goal. And sometimes we forget. We're like kids out there in, in little kid soccer that we were like, oh, we're supposed to try to get the ball on the goal. Um, and so... Um, maybe you played board games this week. I know we, we tried some new board games and things like this. That and, and, and sometimes you're like, well, okay, what am I trying to do here? What, what's the goal here? And that's what I really want to do is, is some of those questions. Why did God create me? What am I here for? What's my purpose? What's really this chief end? And we've alluded to that a few times. And so I'm going to um, go. We're going to have a few points today. The chief end, the great command, and the great commission. As we're going to be remind us of those three big goals um, today. And so the chief end, there's a few passages of scripture that point us to this. Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 43, if you wanted to go there. Um, Isaiah 43, it says this, But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through rivers, I shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, 
you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom. Cush and Seba is in exchange for you, because you are precious in mine eyes, and I honor and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So he says right there, We are created for His glory. He also says something very similar to this in in Romans 11 and also in 1 Corinthians, that the goal, in essence, the the goal of life is to glorify God. Colossians points this out, and we'll go there. Colossians chapter 1, just to remind us of this in the New Covenant. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 1. Verse 15 to 18, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of the God of God was pleased to dwell. So you might think, well, if this, this idea of everything being about God's glory, doesn't that hurt people's self-esteem? Doesn't that hurt, you know, um, you know, being about us. I mean, our New Year's resolutions, if I'm going to make that glorifying God is my main thing, doesn't that kind of hurt, you know, my self-betterment and everything about me when I think of New Year's resolutions or the goals I have? And I think it was Matt Chandler, Matt Chandler it was, that said this. He says that we carry this insidious prosperity gospel around in our dark little entitled hearts. Basically, we kind of have these hearts that are like always thinking, what's in it for me? And we kind of treat God like a vending machine. Like, all right, God, I got you. So if I put this in, I'm supposed to get this out, right? So if I like give you glory, then you're going to give me stuff or you're going to give me health or you're going to give me wealth or you're going to, my family's all going to be this way because I... Uh, did this and we do that we kind of naturally do that but the the problem is that we forget that God created all things for himself that he doesn't owe us a thing he doesn't owe us a dime um, I mean, we're not entitled to anything and and this is really where it comes down to that kind of at first it kind of hurts us and then realize at the end this is really the most glorious thing and the best thing for us that that the bible in its end is not about us and we've got we to be so careful that we have a God-centered view of the Bible. Because if not, you're going to mess up everything. You're going to mess up everything, and you're not going to see the Bible the way God intended to it. And the funny thing is, when it comes to literature or stuff like this, we have this idea that, oh, we, we want to interpret things however you feel it should be interpreted. And everybody has their own interpretation. The problem is, you don't have that same philosophy when it comes to the bank and your checks. 
You don't let them interpret it however they want it to be interpreted. Or when you write a letter to your boss or a certain thing, you don't let them just interpret it however, or a contract on a deal or whatever. You know, oh, let them interpret it. No, no, there was an author's intent. And God had an author's and authorian intent to every book of the Bible. And in the end, it wasn't, it wasn't like the book of Jason. It wasn't about Lawanta. It wasn't about, it's not about me. It's not about you. Now, he, he has some incredible things for about us being the recipients of his redemption in this, but it's not about us. It's about God's glory and his redemption plan for his glory. Um, and in fact, this reminds us, because even when we think about what is sin, and Romans tells us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of of God. I mean, like the essence of our sin is God's glory is so it's so precious and it is the end of all things that that sin is not I mean so I mean hell being separated from God is is is, is just not is for God's glory. In fact, Piper said it this way, the horror of hell is an echo of the infinite worth of God's glory. We are created for God's glory. So God created all things, that includes me, that I'm not self-existent and neither are you. That God had a purpose for us. And um, J.I. Packer said this, he said, Modern people, though they cherish great thoughts about themselves, have as a rule small thoughts about God. Um, and we're never going to be successful, um, fulfilled or prosperous in any area of our relationships until we discover what God created us for. We're created for Him. We're created for Him. We exist for Him. Um, he's created all things. Uh, we, we exist for Him. We are in Him. We, we, in Him we live and move and have our being, as Corinthians says. So this is our ultimate purpose, is to bring God's glory. Everything about us is for God's glory. He saved us for His glory. Ephesians tells us this, that we're redeemed, we're adopted, to the praise of his glorious grace. The end of our salvation is awesome that we get heaven and forgiveness of sins, but the ultimate end is God getting glorified for redeeming sinful people. Um, And so we are saved to the praise of his glory. We're adopted, we're predestined, we're chosen to the praise of his glory, to show forth the praises of his excellencies. This is why God saved us. It's not just so we can say, oh, I got my get-out-of-hell-free card. And he saved us to give him glory. He's growing us for his glory. This is the end. I mean, so how do we, how do we glorify God? Well, the Bible tells us it's obedience to God's word um, by loving him and doing what he commands. In fact, that's the answer to um, in, in the New City Catechism, the kids' answer. How and why did God create us? God created us male and female in his own image to glorify him. God created us to glorify Him. And how do you glorify God? The answer, by loving Him and doing what He commands. Um, This is very consistent with many of the other biblical catechisms, um, that we love and obey Him. And so we are saved to glorify God. So if you're not saved this morning, the way you can glorify God with your life is to believe on Christ, repent of your sins, confess faith in Christ. This is to remember, folks, that our chief end is to glorify God. We glorify God by showing fruit. We glorify God by magnifying Him. We glor- In fact, that's a, probably a better way 
glorifying, that when we glorify God, we're not making him any bigger than he is, but we're magnifying him. We're making, it, making him look as big as he is. I mean, when you look through the telescope at a star, you're not making that star bigger than what it already is. You're just making people's perception where they can see large. So we're not making God any bigger or greater than he is. We're just magnifying. And that's why we have part of our paperwork here, that we exist to magnify Jesus by making disciples that are mobilized for mission. And we want to magnify. That's, that's why we're here. And so this really answers that big question as the Westminster Catechism question number one says, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Why are you here? What's your purpose? What's your big end? What's the end game? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. So think of that as you're thinking of resolutions and evaluating things and goals for this year. What am I doing to glorify God with my life? And you might say, well, isn't this, like, doesn't that conflict with my joy or me being delightful or me being a happy person? I mean, God, doesn't God want me to be happy? And, and this is really kind of a, uh, one of those things that is it's on, on the surface seems like a contradiction or things that are in conflict, but they're really not. And um, I, was, I was looking through this, and I'd encourage you to take some time to look through this. This is um, uh, a booklet called Jonathan Edwards' Resolutions and, and Advice to Young Converts. Uh, Stephen Nicholas from Ligonier put this together. And it's basically two uh, works that Jonathan Edwards put together uh, that he used in his life. And... Um, Basically, you've probably heard of Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, the, the Great Awakening in New England, um, really laying the seed work in the American Revolution morally and philosophically. One of the first presidents of Princeton, what we know as Princeton University, the College of New Jersey then. Um, and sometime between 1722 and 23, he wrote these 70 resolutions. And basically, he had gone to... to um, to to um is it Yale? Anyway, finished it, when he finished his undergrad, he went and took a pastorate in New York for about a year. And then he went back and went to grad school, stayed on to be a tutor, and then went on to his father in law's church to work with his father in law, took over that church. Uh, of course that's the famous story of him being kicked out for membership issues in the Lord's table. And then he takes an appointment from the mission ag- from a mission agency to go be a missionary amongst uh, the Indians. And then he goes on to be um, president of the university. Anyway, but somewhere in that year that he was pastoring uh, in New York, um, young man uh, setting these things, he put these 70 resolutions together. And, um, and so there's a lot of, uh, these are not, they don't sound like a self-help book. They are very much about God's working. And sometimes we might look at them and think, oh my, this is, kind of him pulling himself by his own bootstraps, but he was very much committed that, um, that he needed God's help in everything. So I want to read a few of these here uh, of his resolutions. So the first one is, resolved that I will, and he, he, first he said, re, remember to read over these resolutions once a week. So he read these once a week. Resolved that I will do whatever I think, do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and to my good, profit and pleasure in the whole of my duration without any consideration of the time, whether now or never in the myriads of ages hence. Uh, resolve to do whatever I think be to be my duty and most for the good 
and advantage of mankind in general. Resolve to do this, whatever difficulties I meet with, however so many and however so great. Some of his others would, would say, I, number five says, uh, resolve never to lose one moment of time, but improving it to the most profitable way. Um, resol- number six is resolved uh, to live with all my might while I live. Uh, and then some, so many, um, resolve to maintain the strictest temperance, this is number 20, uh, in eating and drinking. Um, uh, resolve, 19 is, resolve never to do anything that I should be afraid to do if I expected it would be, would not be above an hour before I should hear the last trumpet. Do you think about it? I won't do anything if it's not going to be, within an hour I could do this without hearing the last trumpet, then I'm not going to do it. Um, like take down Christmas lights, right? Um, something like that. Number 22. And here's, so all these are very like about God and, uh, you know, like he says, um, resolve that when I feel pain to think of the pains of martyrdom and of hell. Um, but when he gets to number 22, he says this one that, that, that many have pointed out. He says, resolve to do whatever to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I can possibly, as possibly can with all the might, power, vigor. And I love how they said this in the um, 1700s and vehemence. Yea, violence I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way <clears throat> that can be thought of. Um, and when you look at that, you're like, wow, that kind of sounds like a very selfish New Year's resolution. I'm just going to do with all my might whatever will bring me the most happiness. Um, and later on, uh, I was pointed this out in, uh, by, by Piper that it, I think it was, I forget the date that he preached this sermon. The sermon's called um, The Godly Are Designed for Unknown and Inconceivable Happiness. And he basically weds these truths of God's glory and our happiness. So he says this, Jonathan Edwards, that is. The glory of God does not consist merely in the creatures perceiving his perfections. For the creature may perceive the power and wisdom of God and yet take no delight in it, but abhor it. Those creatures that do so don't glorify God. Nor doth the glory of God consist especially in speaking of his perfections. For words avail not any otherwise than as they express the sentiment of the mind. This glory of God, therefore, consists in the creatures admiring and rejoicing and exalting in the manifestation of his beauty and excellency. The essence of glorifying God consists, therefore, in the creatures rejoicing in God's manifestations of his beauty which is the joy and happiness we speak of. So we see it comes to this at last, that the end of creation is that God may communicate happiness to the creature. For if God created the world, that he may be glorified in the creature, he created that they might rejoice in his glory. For we have shown that they are the same. And basically what he's saying is, God's glory and your joy are intertwined. That you will find the most joy in life when you seek to give your life to giving God the most glory with your life. Um, and that's where sometimes when, when there are truths that the Bible does not put in conflict, uh, that they're not an either or, they're a both and, that we just need to let the Bible be the Bible. So when there are truths that teach about how God wants us to have fullness of joy, uh, like the whole book, like the book of Philippians, or when he speaks of uh, in the Psalms, when he says, "In your presence is fullness of joy." And then when there are other passages that say, "My life is about giving God the glory and not seeking my own," 
that God put those to be connected together. Um, and that, uh, and, and that we shouldn't try to resolve those, but they are um, together. Or as Piper said, this for him was the great coming together. What was life all about? What was it for? Why do I exist? Why am I here to be happy or to glorify God? And he said, they are not at odds. They are not at odds. And he says that God's purpose is for us to have a passion for God's glory, and that is where joy is. And so he said this, God created me and you to live with a single, and I love how Piper just like stacks adjectives, with a single, all-embracing, all-transforming passion, namely a passion to glorify God by enjoying and displaying his supreme excellency in all the spheres of life. It kind of sounds like 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. It affects everything in life, down to the smallest details of how you eat and drink. Um, and so that is the chief end. And I hope that would be something that you will find make your chief end as you seek to evaluate this past year and the coming year. Secondly, the big goals of life. This is the great commandment. The great commandment. The great commandment. This is in Matthew 22 and Deuteronomy 6 and also in Mark 12. Jesus, they say, who, what is, the, great, what is the, the, the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus goes back to Deuteronomy 2, the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the Shema. And he says, and the second is likened to it, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love others. This is the end. I mean, so, so, so this is this, and this is something that um, God's been working on my heart about, um, kind of starting in August and coming this fall, that that love is not just, I mean, it is the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. So the fruit, the, uh, an expression, evidence of the Spirit's work is going to be love. Um, but God, Jesus calls this the distinguishing mark of his people. Uh, and that love is the motivator. I mean, this is the motivator of life. And so one, one of the reasons I like journaling is it helps me emotionally process so I can think, okay, what am I thinking here? What am I feeling? And not get so fluffied up in your feelings, but like, okay, if, if the emotions that I'm, because sometimes you do hard things out of love, right? Parents, you know, um, but, but uh, and you have to say hard things and they're unpopular things out of love. But if, if I'm going back, what are my motives here? What, what, what's my emotions in this? And if it's not coming out of love, then I need to go back to the mat and say like, okay, the motive of ministry, the motive of life, is love for God and love for others. Um, love for God and love for others. And so, as someone else said it this way, if what we want to do as a church family or in your family or the goals that you're wanting to pursue in life this year, if you can't do that by loving God, loving Jesus, and loving others, you don't want to get there. If I can't get, if we can't get there by loving God and loving others, then we don't want to get there. I mean, that, that, that's in the end where it's at. Um, so uh, there's so many applications when it comes to serving, uh, like volunteering, maybe here at the church or through something in town or whatnot. Well, what can you do out of love for Jesus? Like what capacity do you have for, for, for doing this when it comes to giving? Like give what you can give out of love for Jesus do what you can do out of love for Jesus. And this puts things in perspective. 
Because sometimes you can, a lot of times people will talk about things like boundaries, you know, in, in, with relationships or time or whatever. And those are good things. But, you know, sometimes I, I read this really rec- highly recommended book on, on boundaries one time. And, and I walked away thinking, like, this is really good. I really want to implement this in my life. But it feels so selfish. And you know why? Because a lot of times people use their boundaries in a very selfish way, you know. Um, uh, we can't come to church today because we need to recover from our trip. Well, when was your trip? Well, you know, Thursday, you know. And you're like, what? You know, you know, we need family time or what? You know, and we can use that in very, and I do that and you do that. And we're, we're, we're ma- our hearts are masters at manipulating things. But if I'm thinking, hey, you know what? Um, I, I can do those, do similar things because out of love for others and love for other people. I'll give you a great example. Uh, John and Melissa Miller. And John texts, and he's fresh in my mind because he texts me this morning as he does most Sunday mornings. Um, uh, when, like when they came here and with the, brought that missions team, they you know, painted the doors and did a lot of the stuff in the downstairs and things like that. Um, um, often when you have mission teams in, you put them up, right? Or when you go to the mission field. And they say, you know what? We're, they cover their own hotel costs and things like that. And they're like, you know, we found that if we can, like, make sure everybody gets a good night's sleep and not be a burden on other people, it's usually best for the people we're serving and best for us. That we're fr- and I was like, that's a great way of a servant's heart in something like boundaries of, you know, and, and I was like, that we're, that we're seeing things like that. That the reason that, okay, I need some space here to spend time with God alone is because that way I can show love for other people. Because sometimes, sometimes the best thing you can do is go take a nap and do nothing to God's glory, right? Uh, sometimes the best thing you can do is uh, separate yourself, go read your Bible for a while, then come back and serve. Um, or, you know, how it is, the, 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 the love, the motive is love. So do what you can do out of love for God and love for others. The great commandment. The third one, the big goals of life. The big goals that God gives us in the scriptures. So the chief end, the great commandment, and the great commission. This is Matthew 28, 19 and 20. It's used in other, uh, given to us in other portions of the Bible, but uh, most clearly here in Matthew 28. Uh, if you want to go ahead and turn there, you probably know it. For Jesus says, all power or all authority is given to me, given in heaven and earth, has given them to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So you are here, there are only two types of people here. There are either Christians here or people that are called to become Christians. And I think I can speak with the authority of the Bible in that. That you're either saved or God is calling you to repent and believe and become a Christian. There are not people that are Christians that are not disciple. You are either a disciple or you're not a Christian. All Christians are followers of Jesus. And so when he says, go therefore and teach all nations, or the, the verb there is to make disciples. And teaching is the primary means that that's done. Discipleship is done is in teaching, but um, is to make disciples. Um, the motives of this, this kind of flows out of the great, the great commandment. That if I have love God and love for others, I'm going to show love for others by telling them about Jesus and influencing those that do know Jesus to follow Jesus better, Right? 
So, so it kind of flows together. If I'm wanting to glorify God, then I'm going to love God, which means I'm going to love others, which means I'm going to want to make disciples. Um, and so the motives for discipleship should be love. I mean, love for God that doesn't show up in love for neighbor and love for others is really just some type of idolatry. I mean, I'm, 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 I know this is hard, but if you're saying... I love God, I love God, and you've got a t-shirt that says I love Jesus, or however that is, but you've never shown love for neighbor. It's, is it really love for God? I mean, this is love for God, love for others type stuff here. And so, um, and obedience. So he says he's, he's, he's ordained, he has commanded us. It's not called the great suggestion. It's the great commission. It's the great command. He commands us to go and preach the gospel to all nations, to make disciples of all nations. So we're being obedient. So our motives are love and obedience. Um, and so to make disciples, we're not just called to be disciples. We're called to make disciples. And the discipleship includes evangelism and conversion and, and growth. Sometimes we try to split them, but they're not. And, and I want you guys to get this. This is basic Christianity. This isn't some deep, new, this is just basic Christian. We're not some self-made, pull-yourself-up-by-your-own-bootstraps religious persons. We are all, Christianity is for disciples of Jesus. And that's what we are. This is the goal. I mean, this is the goal. I mean, you know, the goal of our church is to make disciples and make our neighborhood better. I mean, that, that's what we're here for. I mean, the, like, we're not called to build crowds, perform concert. I mean, all, none of those things are bad. But we're not here for the show. We're here to make disciples. And so, um, and so how and where it says, so it says, what are you supposed to do? What the, why? Out of love for God, love for others, be obedient. And how and where do you do this? It says all nations or all ethnicities, all people groups, everywhere. We saw that in Acts, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth, all nations. Now, th- now this, this promise doesn't end with the apostles. This is for us today. And that, that, that actually point right there is a highly debatable thing that is not debatable now, but like M- M- William Carey and pastors right around his time trying to prove that English people needed to be evangelistic, um, that we needed to take the gospel to the nations and we needed to do this. Um, th- this, is, this is huge. This is for us. And we sometimes need to be reminded of that, that we, Emmanuel Baptist Church, are called to get the gospel to the nations. Okay? Um, of all nations, all people groups. And then how do we do that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So, as, we, as you go through Acts, you do not see people just freely moving about these rogue, lone ranger disciplers in unaffiliated groups. They're a part of communities called churches. It's basic Christianity. Um, And when we see this discipleship call here, embedded in that is things about ordinances and local church. So things like ministry of ordinances and teaching, these things usually, most of the time, occur in churches. And churches are called to fulfill the Great Commission. 
So the first place we should often look for discipleship is in our local church. And uh, I, I love this. as So there's a, that's a two-edged thing here. That's a, that's a, a condemnation. Not that we, we use parachurch ministries and we love them. And I'm so thankful for campus ministries and things like that. But it's to come along and bring back to the local church, not supplant or take away from, but also it's an indictment on local churches that this is what you're supposed to be doing. And so as Mark Dever said it this way, he said, if it is unwise to do discipling without a church, it's worse to do church without discipling. If it's unwise to do discipling without a church, it's worse to do church without discipling. And that needs to be what we're about as a church is discipleship. And so he goes on to say this way, that through baptism, the church affirms credible professions. And it's through the Lord's Supper that it declares the Lord's death and makes the many into one. And through excommunication that it removes those whose life unrepentantly contradicts his or her profession. So this is a church thing. So part of our commitment to the Great Commission, embedded into that, is our commitment to our local church. And so today I wanted to remind you just of these three huge goals that you're called to. The chief end, to glorify God with all of your life. The great command to love the Lord your God and love others. And the great commission to make disciples teaching them to observe all things. Now, hopefully reminding ourselves of those three main goals, just like when you start that journal, what are my big goals for this year, can kind of all the sub-goals and the sub-plans can fill in when I know them on big ones. Um, so they can help us get to the root of our other goals. And often we have mixed motives. So, for instance, maybe one of your, your New Year's resolutions is about getting in shape or prioritizing exercise. Can you have that goal in a selfish, self-serving way? Yeah. If it's all about look at me or my this or my that or I want to live forever or whatever it is, so I'll sacrifice family and sacrifice money and sacrifice this for that. But it could be a very good goal that, man, I want to I want to be a good steward of what God's given me. I want to uh, have interaction and recreational enjoyment with others or time that I'm with community that I can build relationships for the purpose of evangelism or that I can like live longer or I can actually like play games with my grandkids um, or you know, I'm not just talking about video games. Right. Um, by the way. I taught my kids who was the champion of the house in Mario Kart this week. So just so you know. Um, um, but, you know, so it can be a, a, a bad motive goal. It could be a very good goal of glorifying God with your life. And, you, and your motive can be, how can I do this for the purpose of glorifying God, for the purpose of making disciples? And when we know the big goals, it helps all the other little decisions make, fall into place. So maybe you have another, maybe one of your New Year's resolutions is to get more organized, and that you want to you want to get like super organized. I mean, you want to you want to have everything figured out, and uh, you're going to start with the pile of stuff from Christmas, and you're going to have everything organized. That can be a very selfish, controlling motive that could be an idol of your heart, but it can also be saying, "Man, you know, I mean, being useful doesn't make us more godly." Be, being, um, I just totally ruined that phrase. Being organized doesn't make us more godly. Being organized does make us more useful to God. You know? I mean, so like, so if you're organized, so put it this way. Very practical. If you're a little more organized in your morning, 
And I'm not getting on anybody today, so don't worry about it. I'm talking about all the people that aren't here, okay? So let's say you, you, being a little more organized in your morning um, and say you get to church five, ten minutes early. You're so much more useful to be able to be used by God to greet your brothers and sisters. And, or maybe you find out, oh, no, oh, you know, they, someone forgot to turn the heat on in the nursery. I can turn the heat on. Or I, you, you know, you're so much more useful because you are organized, right? Everybody that's got kids under three, you're exempt from that, okay? Or five, or let's say 20, okay? <laughs> um, and, um, but, you know, it makes you more useful. So it might, there's a positive. So, so how can I glorify God by being more organized with my time, with my agenda, with my stuff? Um, saving money. If that was one of your resolutions, it's a, if that's one of your resolutions, that may be... Um, for very selfish, self-serving, idle reasons that you're wanting to do that. But that same activity, if you're looking at it through my big three of the goals that I have in life, it could be stewardship. And I want to, I want, I want to, you know, because we mentioned a few weeks ago that a Christian is going to live three steps behind every person else that has their same income. Every Christian is going to live three steps behind the same person living on their same income bracket because a Christian is going to give a portion to, to God's work they're going to be saving a portion for the future because we're called to be good stewards, and they're going to live off the rest. So you're three steps behind, and that's okay, and that's right. So, so you know, plan to live long um, and plan to live short, right? Because you don't know what tomorrow might bring. So plan to live long means, like, saving for the future. Plan to live short means, like, life insurance, stuff like that. Um, mine's coming up due in, in, a, in a month. Uh, Jamie always makes sure I pays that pay that one. She makes sure that one's paid. Um, you know, um, you know. So, um, you, you know, so, so that's that's stewardship there. So you need to save for those things. Um, but let me, let me give you a test. If your plan, oh, I want to save money this year, and that's my resolution. If your plan for saving money, um, if giving to the Lord in worship and for ministry is not part of that it's probably a good sign that that resolution is not a God-pleasing resolution, that your motive in that is probably self-serving. Um, so I would encourage you, that to, that, and, the, and that, that that part of that starts with your local church and then going to other a- activities, that that would be part of that. And you, we could go down the list. We've gone to fitness, organization, money. Those are kind of the big important ones. You're reading. You know, I want to read 27 books this year. I want to read that. Okay, are, am I glorifying God with this? How can I do this? Is this so I can, at the end of the year, put a post, put a, put my little sign on Twitter that you read a half million books in one sitting or whatever it was? You know, I didn't talk to my wife, but I read fifty-seven books this year. <laughs> you know, uh, you know. But can I use that reading to, to to learn and grow and build community, or maybe read books that are helping me grow in my walk with God, or even develop relationships with um, with my kids? You know, like I got convicted about that because I hardly ever read like. Um, fiction stuff. But I'm like, you know what? My kids are getting into these stories and these stories. I need to just, hey, we're going to read this one together and talk about it and then go to IHOP after we finish it and stuff like that, you know? Um, that You can use those things, that reading goal that you might have for the year for God's glory, to make disciples, to show love for others. So all that being said, all I wanted to do today was remind you to have God-sized resolutions to keep those big categories in mind as you think on this next year. The chief end, you're created for God's glory. You're saved for God's glory. You're being sanctified for God's glory. The purpose of our church is God's glory. That this great command 
that, to love God and love others, that if we can't get there through loving, by loving Jesus and loving others, we don't want to get there any other way. And then that the Great Commission to make disciples, to be a disciple and make disciples. And so as I heard someone say it, we want to do the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. And that all runs together to this, these big goals. So let's think on those things. We're going to pray, and then we're going to close with the doxology. So let's bow our heads. And as we, before we pray, I want to give you some time to just respond. To maybe take some inventory in your heart. Maybe you already had in mind some um, resolutions for this year. To think, okay, what are my motives in this? Are, are, are these resolutions fitting under the categories of these three main goals of life that I should have as a Christian? Or maybe there's some conviction there. That, you know, I don't really have any goals, but I can see where there's some areas of my life are not helping me in these, th- in these three main areas. And I can start some steps towards that in some resolutions for this year. And also, I would remind us, as you are thinking about that with resolutions, that none of this happens by willpower alone. None of this happens by our own control or discipline, that God's Spirit has to do it. The flesh profits nothing. It's the Spirit that does the work. So we declare dependence upon Him as we seek to make resolutions for the year and plead for His help to do so. Let's take some time and think on those things and respond.